0: Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown. Hey,
1: this is O'Teal. If you're liking what you're hearing, head on over to patreon.com forward slash comes of time pod and get your bus pass for an extra episode every Welcome week. Welcome back
2: to another episode of Comes a Time. That's O'Teal. And that's Mike. We're both looking very crystal clear in our respective cameras.
1: I got to say, man, you know, the 2022 4K
2: upgrade. You know, it <laughs> two looks 2 plus good. 2 is 4K upgrade. Yep, it we did it. <laughs> yeah, we look all right. We had uh, my buddy John Laster on the show today. Uh, John is a very funny comedian um, and an app. What would you call his app developer, creator? Yeah, um, app creator, really. Entrepreneur. Yeah, um, and we talked about his new app blap which uh utilizes geolocation to uh locate and showcase and highlight black-owned businesses and uh john's been working his butt up you go into the cellar and it's like while he's doing shows he's got his laptop open at the table and he runs down does his set comes back up hammering away and it's taken off and it's it's only in its infant stages and it seems to be growing and growing so thought it would be a good uh opportunity to chat with him and have him on. I thought you guys would hit it off.
1: Yeah, it's a great he's a great guest to have for Black History Month and his story his trajectory it's so unusual. And I really love it because uh you know, some people get to where they're going by just being very like on one path and some people take a roundabout way and it's just a <laughs> You know, yeah. each thing yeah. kind of leads to the next thing and it's just an unusual story. I don't even want to give it away. It's really fascinating, just as an American story and uh American story is right. Yeah. And as an Afro-American story
2: this month, it's a bullseye. The app is fantastic and it works incredibly well. And uh everybody should check it out. It's Blap B L A P P. And uh, you'll hear more about it during this episode with John. And uh, we hope you're all doing well and staying safe out there. And we will catch you next time. Enjoy. It's nice to see you outside of a club, John. I think that's where you and I see each other. (laughs) the most or on the street surrounding the cellar
3: yeah it's like we live there
2: <laughs> yeah otiel before the pandemic otiel came to see me um <clears throat> do a long set at the fat black pussycat which i think you're doing uh tonight, tonight right tonight. nice it's awesome
3: yeah i'll be i'll be rocking an hour tonight well you know close to it it's never really an hour but whatever Where did you
1: start out doing comedy? Or where are you from originally, I guess I should ask.
3: Man, I'm originally from Denver. I was a ball player, (laughs) though. So um, high school All-American, they thought I was the next guy going to the NBA. And a lot of people suggested that I move to New York, said it'd be an easier path to the NBA. And I passed on that advice. But the funny part was I played against guys in high school that were from New York, these All-Americans. And just took them to the woodshed in, in games that we played in, in tournaments. And I mean, nice. I intentionally made a mockery of these guys. You <laughs> know what I, mean? I remember the coach coming over to us at the end of the game to, to my coach. I was standing there talking to my coach and their coach came over. There's this, this famous team called Riverside Baptist Church. And I remember their coach coming over to our coach and he looked at him and, you know, they shook hands. And, and then he turned and looked at me and he said, I threw everything I had at him. I empty the bench trying to stop that dude. You know, it's like, yo, you got a ringer on your hands. And people told me, just move to New York. That way you'll be normally playing against these guys. You'll move up the rankings. You'll go to a school that's an easier path to the NBA. And I passed on that. So essentially I was a big fish in a little pond. And I knew I wasn't going to do that again with comedy. You know, mm-hmm. you wanna you wanna climb Mount Everest, you gotta go to Mount Everest. You can't prove yeah. that you didn't climb Mount Everest from Denver.
2: Uh, New York, I just, I always wish to God that like the Mecca of comedy, I wish we could take New York comedy (laughs) and cut it out of New York and move it to a place where we can all have like, you know, a three bedroom, two bathroom house and acres of land where after the show we can go, Hey, let's go hang out in my yard and and cook on the grill and, you know, enjoy nature and
3: shit. Nope. (laughs) Yeah. Instead, I moved to New York city and started bombing like a motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> at what age were you when you moved to New York? Oh, 22, 23. I was right out of college. So, yeah, I just moved out here and you know, you got to figure, man, I went to I was a uh I was the captain of the basketball team at a division 1 school. So you are, you know, in a college town, you literally are the man. So to go from that to moving to New York City with one box where not one single person gives a rat's ass about you and not only not doesn't give a fuck about you but you're on stage bombing so they less than give a fuck about you you literally are an irritant even the rats don't give a rat's ass even about the rats you. don't give a rat's ass the rats in new york city will run right past you like dude you're not gonna do nothing no, you're not gonna do a damn thing to us we would do before you Um, I step uh,
1: aside for the rats. (laughs) uh, Yeah, me too. Full (laughs) disclosure.
3: Yeah. So, yeah, it was, it was, uh, yeah, moving here was very, very humbling to say the least. I remember being on a show with some good friends of mine and people were doing good on the show and, you know, sometimes it's just not your night, but this woman comes in and she's got, and I started on the hood circuit, very, you know, so it's all black rooms, black people are, can be your best friend or your worst enemy. (laughs) If they love you, they'll they'll give you a ride home and make you chicken. If they don't like you, they will let you know, hey, man, this shit you trying to serve up ain't done. Put it back in the oven. <laughs> so it's one of those nights, and this woman's got on this mint coat, I remember, and uh, she comes in, and she's talking loud to her friends at the table as soon as she walks in. So, you know, I'm a new comedian. I was like, hey, lady, you know, you talking crazy. You know, calm down. You know, there's a show up here. And oftentimes when people heckle us from the crowd, they'll say, hey, you're not funny or-
4: Hello, Pantheon podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons,
3: Come on, man. Get to the joke. Something that you can throw something back. Because we're used to that. So we're used to somebody saying something they can throw something back. But I remember she's standing there talking to her friends. And she looked up at me and she said, fuck you, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
5: Yo, Not much you can throw back at that. <laughs> and I was a new comedian, right? So I was like, come on. <laughs> <laughs> come on. Give me a heckle like, I could
3: work with here. <laughs> Throw a pitch somewhere near the plate, lady. Come on. <laughs> she just took the ball. She just took the ball and threw it at my head oh, um, with man. fire tattoos. She said, fuck you, bitch. Yeah. <laughs> the place goes crazy, right? Wow. Some people are like, ah, and some people are like, oh. <laughs> and I was like, ah, oh, hey. Da, yo. Da.
2: <laughs> and as a new comic, you're like do I keep going or do I, I deal? Like, and then you're no, like, I, I wanted to say, lady, you got me. I am done for the night. Uh, done. You know, which yeah. ones I've always had the hardest time with John is the apathetic ones that were, they're just like, go keep doing your thing. Like they're, they're at the club. Cause they're like, they got dragged there by a group of people and they want nothing <laughs> to do with it. And they're just like, go ahead and live your dream. I'm going to text. Yeah, yeah. And just that, that whole, like, like I'd rather you hate me. Or have an opinion about something that I said than just this kind of like, you know, you go on and do your thing. Because that one I'm just like, oh, because that's the what I'm telling myself, you know. It's like, what am I doing up here? Those are always the hardest ones.
3: I've never been the fashionista. So I've never <laughs> been the dress-up guy on stage. And I remember one time I was doing a show down in Virginia Beach. And uh, and it's a big room. So there's four or 500 people. I used to I used to Leslie Jones was one of the first people to take me on the road. So Les was like, we're going down to Ginger Beach. I'm opening the show, you know, and again, my dress is casual at best because I ain't not give a fuck. I've always been a sweatshirt, jeans, whatever type of boots. And I remember I get on stage and I said, hey, how y'all feeling?" And they still talking a little bit. And I said, come on, man. I came all the way down here from Brooklyn. How are y'all feeling? And there's this guy over in the corner right? And he, yeah, I swear to God, this is what he all on. He said, from the looks of them boots, it looked like you walked. <laughs> that sounds like a black club.
5: Hell yeah! Hell
3: yeah! Hell yeah. Oh, that's amazing. That is they're amazing. all dressed nice to the girls. He said, from the looks of them boots, it looked like you walked. <laughs> the, crowd, the crowd hadn't settled down yet, right? So, luckily, no one heard him. There wasn't the effect, because he's way over in the right corner, right? Now, I heard him. Now, I had learned from, I had already learned from, fuck you, bitch. You know what I'm saying? And <laughs> if you don't have something good to come back with, you're in trouble. But they hadn't heard him. So, I left that guy alone. But I remember after the show, I still remember his face, right? After the show, I said, Yo. I heard what you said about my boots. <laughs> I told him in the lobby. I was like, yo, man, that was a great one. He was like, oh, man, I'm sorry. Because after I said it, he said, after the show, he's like, I thought you were so funny that he felt bad. I said, no, nah, that was a good one. I'm just glad no one heard it. I <laughs> don't know. Because if they would have heard that, they'd have been staring at my boots that whole 30 minutes.
1: Man, it's so, so when unc- you. When you got to New York, how
3: much comedy experience did you have? Were you None. like totally green? Oh, so you no, just no. like I, I came here, man, with a box, one box. I moved to my sister's because my sister lived here in New York. I, I put the box down in the chair and I sat down on the couch. I just started bawling. My sister um, had never seen me cry like that. You know, my sister, when we got to high school, my sister said, when you came to high school, you were Desiree's brother. When I left high school, I was John's sister. Mm. So my sister says, I know what you're capable of. So she had never seen me like that before. And she was like, oh, don't cry. I can buy you a ticket back home tomorrow. Don't worry about the money. And I told my sister, I said, I'm not crying because I want to go home. I'm crying because I'm never leaving. Under no wow. circumstances am I going back to Denver, if, and, and, unless it's in a box, you know, if I'm dead.
2: Wow. But yeah, I'm going to
3: yeah. figure this out. You know, I'd had I'd had a college career that went south because I I signed with the University of Minnesota, transferred back to Colorado State. But I had learned a lesson in that, that just stay the course. It takes a while. No matter how rocky it gets, you just got to hang in there. It's just like moving to a new town. It's just terrible at first. And then you could pack up and go back to the old town. But I wasn't going back. You know, I had learned that that lesson about transferring from. Minnesota back to Colorado state. And that ended my, that really ended my basketball career. Um, So I was like, I'm not, I'm not going back to Denver, no matter how awful this gets for me, I'm going to stick it out. But that's what I was crying about.
2: Yeah. You know, you know, it's so funny is that like exactly opposite, like moving to Denver terrified me. When I moved to Denver, it was like under the wrong pretenses. I was just like running from, you know, myself really. And I got there and it was just, the perfect place to get lost in the shuffle like the 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 mountain west area reminds you of how small you are like in the city you kind of have frames of reference you got buildings you got other people running into your cars you got to avoid getting hit by you could get lost in colorado very easily you could go walk into the woods and it's like well Oops. shit it's just me and the mountain lions now you know and it's just terrifying somehow that like yeah that new place and growing up on the East Coast and like being used to that speed and then you get out there and it's like everyone's kind of sort of polite, but also kind of just worried about them doing their own thing and very weird and different. And, you know, uh, it, it, it was it was terrifying. And there were so many times like the first couple of weeks where I was just like, I don't belong here. I got to go home. New York's my place, you know? Yeah. But yeah, it's a, that move is just it's no matter where you go, it's it's always terrifying. You're it's- always wondering, like, did I? But that's change in general, right? I mean, that's that's everything. Getting yeah. rid of the we talked about it yesterday, just about like getting rid of those like comforts, those creature comforts, even if it's sometimes fear is the comfort.
3: You know?
1: Yeah. Yeah,
2: absolutely.
1: There's something to be said for like what you said before, John, just putting all your eggs in one basket. That's cause that way, no matter where I end up, it's like there's only I know what road I'm on. I don't know where it's going to end up, but yeah. this is the road. <laughs> yeah.
3: I remember reading a story about, um and I don't remember which one of them it was, but it was one of the, this army general and, you know, the, the he gets all his troops on shore and then he tells a couple guys, go back and burn the ships. You know? Yeah. Oh yeah. Man, yeah. We're going to die here.
2: Hmm. That's we're interesting. There
3: no retreat, but that was my, <laughs> That was my mindset when I got to New York. My mindset was, I'm burning the ships this time. I'm not. There's not going to be no transfer. There's not going to be no baby <laughs> kind of. I'm going to die in New York City trying to uh, trying to trying to pull off this comedy thing.
2: Which you're killing it, obviously. I mean, you're doing amazing. And and you know, I want to talk about real quick the versatility because like you know tonight you're doing an hour, 60 minute, 45, whatever. Yeah. We host, we open, we feature. I don't think a lot of people realize like the various different uh pitches we have to have in our in our repertoire. We're not just up there throwing fastballs constantly. Like to host is an art. To middle is an art, to do a long set and sustain for 45 minutes to an hour is an art. And I kind of wanted to chat with you a little bit about that. Like how will you go at tonight a little different than you go at when you're, let's say, hosting a show?
3: I mean, hosting a show is uh You know, I come from a basketball background. It's similar to being a point guard. You know, my job as the point guard is to keep everybody hot, make sure everybody gets the best chance, everybody catches the ball in the right spot. You know what I mean? So if I'm hosting, you know, I tell a joke about. um, This is a true story too. I remember one time I was in trouble financially, and my ex-girlfriend happened to be white. She said, "She said, call your dad," and I was like, "Who the fuck?" You know what I'm saying? Like. What black person do you say that to? Call your dad. She meant it too. Like that was a a real solution for her. She was like, dude, call your dad. And I was so upset, right? People love that joke. But as a host, if I'm performing, I do that joke wherever I want to. If I'm hosting, I'm not going to do that before I'm bringing up a white woman. You know what I mean? You don't want people looking at them like that. Or if I'm telling some joke that's fucked up about women, I'm going to make sure I don't do that before I bring a woman up. I want to give them the best chance to, you know, unless I know it's someone, or let's say, for example, if I'm hosting and I know someone that does dirty material, I don't want to do dirty material right before I bring that person up. You know what I mean? So I want to make sure as a host, I'm thinking as a point guard, how do I set this person up to make sure that they have the easiest path into laughter? Or if I'm hosting, I don't want to do just crowd work. I want to tell a joke so that the, the crowd gets into that premise set up punch that that is playing in their ear. That rhythm of jokes is playing in their ear um, before they come up there. Cause I've seen hosts just do crowd work and then somebody comes up and starts telling jokes in the crowd's like, Oh, I thought you were going to talk to us. Yeah. You know? So it, it, um, yeah, as so a host. I can, I, it's more of a point guard as a, uh, as a, if I'm performing like tonight, I think I'm in constant closer mode. You want every joke to be as good as your closer. Now, of course, they're not all going to be. You can only have one closer joke, but ideally, they would all be so that people are like, man, that was crazy from start to finish.
2: Mm. Yeah, you almost kind of have to be a little bit empathetic when you're hosting, where it's like, you know what I realized after a while with hosting was like, and it took me a minute to, to realize this, but like some people are at their very first ever comedy show. Like some people are at a comedy club for the first time in their life, and they don't know what the hell it is. They've seen it on TV where it's painted as this like everything's perfect and every joke crushes and whatever but like right. they're not realizing that like you know a waitress could drop a tray of drinks or someone can be pissed at some you know or whatever mm-hmm. like someone's talking so people get almost kind of like you almost kind of have to like walk them through the experience a little bit right which i think after hosting a bunch makes your closing set way stronger cuz you're able to draw from that Empathy, or almost kind of like you can, like, you could tell a a headliner that's hosted a bunch.
3: Yeah. And I think that there's, I think that there's a lot of good hosts that are good comedians, but it's very difficult the other way around because hosting, most comedians are not good hosts. There's, there's a, the, 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 there's this many good comedians and there's this many good hosts. You know what I mean? <laughs> it is very, it's a very different skill set. Yeah. There's a lot of people that can play basketball. Very few who can play the point. The point requires a lot more, a lot more thinking. You really are quarterback in the whole thing. Mm. And if they don't like you, then they could hate the whole show. Very true. You could drag the whole show down. It's like, oh, God, here comes this horrible guy back up here. They got us all in a bad mood. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? It's like a, like a slow-paced car. Like, this is going to be a terrible.
1: <laughs> <thing>. <laughs> <laughs> My heart is sir- like a – oh, go ahead. Go ahead, yeah. do it. No, go ahead, Othiel. Now, I was going to ask, how did the pandemic treat you? You know, How did you get through not being able to do live
3: work? Do the, that- a number on your head? Let me tell you something, Oteal. I was doing. First of all, the pandemic kicked in, right, and a trillion podcasts popped up. <laughs> <laughs> like you're one. looking
5: at one of them. <laughs>
3: <laughs> let me tell you what. Let me tell you what the pandemic was. The pandemic was a podcast. Goddamn! Oh Festival. my God. It was. It was a yo the the birth of the podcast era. Uh, if it wasn't kicking already. So there's a trillion podcasts. Here's the worst part about the podcast. Normally you get DMs or people call you and they say, hey, John, could you do my podcast, man? I'll, you know, I'll let you know man. I'm busy, whatever. During the pandemic, what were you going to say? <laughs> That's how I we got most of our guests. <laughs> Yeah, you I got lock- COVID. That yeah. was the only Dude, thing. <laughs> we're on lockdown and you're like, oh, I can't do it. Dude, we've been locked down for six months. You fucking can do it. So I'm, doing a- <laughs> I'm stopping all these podcasts. And keep in mind, during the lockdown, everyone was doing lives every night. Yeah. So a lot of people were just doing lives. So I'm doing like, all joking aside, probably six of these things a day. Right? Just people wow. hitting "Hey, man. I'm a big fan. I know you don't know me, man, but I do a little live. It's I only need you on for 10 minutes if you could do that. And it's like, God damn it. You know, I got 10 minutes for this person. But the um, the crazy thing about that was, like I said, you, you, you got to do these things. Everyone asked the first question. Everyone asked the same first question. Hey, John, you're one of the workingest comedians in the world, man. You work at The Cellar and you host a ton of shows. This must be terrible for you. And the sad part was, I was like, no. <laughs> I am a solitary guy. Like, I cannot tell you the joy of <laughs> laying around, wait a minute, without feeling guilty, watching, yeah. <laughs> watching right. documentaries all day. Dude, <laughs> with no guilt and a check from the government. <laughs> I mean, what part of hashtag heaven was that? <laughs>
2: you're you're, you're anti mask, not because of you don't believe in it. You just want the thing to go longer. <laughs> yeah,
3: <just> get, <laughs> That's what keep,
2: I was thinking.
5: And the next variant, I want to stay
3: home. <laughs> oh, my God. Yo, bro. I was, people were like, yo, you must be in hell. I was like, just the opposite. Are you crazy? <laughs> Do you know that they're sending me a check every week to sit at home and watch documentaries? Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm here for it. And then, of course, I had um, this thing on my Instagram called the John Laster Challenge, which ended up being picked up by the New York Times and a ton of other other media outlets, which was me and my friends. Because I had a friend say, oh, my God, that George Floyd, you know, watching George Floyd get killed like that was she said that was the the uh, the fuel for all of this uprising and people trying to be, you know, way more responsible and 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 pay attention to, you know, the the black strife in America, and it just angered me. Not because she was um, she didn't have good intention. It's just it, it just it was just like wow, like white people, a lot of white people, not all white people, but a lot of white people just don't get it. The fact that she thought this was the fuel, and I I I explained to her. I said, George Floyd wasn't the fuel, he was the match. The fuel is all of the other black men that have had guns and guns and guns put to their head. All the other black men who've been stopped by the police too many times to count. I said, George Floyd was the match. The -hmm. fuel is happening tonight. And I don't mean like theoretically tonight. I mean, literally February 1st, 2022. There's some black dude getting beat by the cops right now. Yeah, It's just not on camera. Just because just we didn't see some, just because we got to watch someone in a, that, that, that had the time because of the pandemic to stand there with her camera. Because normally we're always moving around. She still wouldn't have caught it if that was a normal day. Mm. We just happened to be in a time where there's not much going on and somebody had the patience to stand there the whole time. Because if that video had been broken up at all, I don't know that that cop's in jail.
1: Yeah, Meaning somebody
3: had recorded the beginning and someone had recorded the end. The cops would have said something crazy happened in the beginning. It was because we had a perfect view of what happened. But if you don't think that there's some black dude getting choked by the cops today, February 1st, 2022, getting choked, you out of your damn mind. So I was trying to find a way to convey that. So I created the John Lasher challenge with me and some of my friends telling about our experiences with the cops. And then that, like I said, became a media circus. And then from that, I decided that I needed to do something and that's why I created Blap. I was like, I need to do something that's going to create lasting change. Cause even those videos, they're powerful and they're going to stick in people's heads, but I didn't think it would create the lasting change that I've, I've always desired in my heart.
2: Yeah. I yeah. can't wait to, we got to talk about Blap. I think this is incredible and it's, and it's something that, you know, it's, it's, one of those things where, and it's funny because you and I both have a similar premise about it, doing cocaine and then planning businesses that never happen. <laughs> doing coke and then going like, let's start a restaurant. Like, you you saw, and it cracks me up because it's just so true. But you had this. I, I I'm I'm so excited to know like from the birth of the thought to execution and getting it out and the development and all of that like. This app just, I I took a break from social media for a little while just to, for my mental health, I needed a a breather from looking at everything. And like, then I start seeing black popping up more and more and I'm like, holy shit, this is fantastic. So like, how did it all be like, how did it come to fruition? And like, where did you get the, the idea and things like that?
3: Well, the truth of the matter is I was, I had an econ major in, in college with a emphasis in poverty so i had been i'd studied way back then about how marginalized societies get out of a marginalized position, meaning you know the the Asian migration that came over when they were working on the railroads and you know smoking lots of hash you know in Chinatown and whatever and then how did they how did they work their way out of that situation because actually, I think now the Asian population in America has the highest median income, but that came from them spending with them. You got to find a way to circul- recirculate that dollar. Jewish Americans came over. You got to find a way. Italian Americans came over. You got to find a way to recirculate that dollar. And, um, and Black people, same thing, came over. We were circulating the dollar. Um, black people, unfortunately, um, had instances like Tulsa where once Black people started, our money started accumulating. That's where the Ku Klux Klan came from. It was about uppity niggers. You guys are getting too, getting it together, you're getting too powerful, and then they would burn it down. And it's essentially, and I know that there's going to be people who hate me for, for saying this today, but it is the base of the Republican Party. The base of the Republican Party no more is about, nor has it been for some time, about Hey man, we're going to come up with a better health care plan than you. Or hey man, we've got this better immigration plan than you. The Republican Party, what, what fuels them is don't let them get ahead of you. You don't want them getting ahead of you, do you? These Mexicans or these Black people. So it's not about we've got a better plan than you. It's you don't want the Republicans, don't take my word for it. Google what the Republican platform was for 2020. They didn't have one. They literally didn't even offer their voters anything. But you don't want them to get nothing, do you?
1: Immigration was way up there.
3: Yes. Don't let them in here. If they do, what will you have left? Don't you want that white skin to matter? So, I mean, it's always been about different groups bubbling, but our groups bubbling They changed the laws. Now they're trying to change the voting rules. So it's always this shell game. Don't let them go to school. You know what I mean? Where there were fights in America, don't let them rise. Because what will you have, white guy? Who will you be when this nigga is better than you? And there you had the backlash from Barack coming into the White House. And then you get some guy who's credibly accused of violating at least 30 white women. You know what I mean? Who shows up with some on his third baby mama who can't speak english and there was a lot of white people who said well shit, at least he's not black or a woman you know what i mean where now they're willing to accept the lowest common denominator you got a guy who ran for president who stood on stage two nights ago and said that he was willing to pardon people who tried to overthrow the government can
1: you yeah, i saw a guy making a commentary on that and he was like you know, he could have pardoned him on the 7th or the 8th. Yeah.
0: Or like, can, the you, you
1: know,
3: like <laughs> can you imagine me and OT and, and a bunch of us running at the Capitol and beating cops to death? No. It would have been a bloodbath. Right. So over time, this country has always been, don't, there's been a, 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 a percentage of people who've always been like, well, just don't let them. You know, not about, hey, let's uplift or let's, you know, let's whoever the best should get the job. Yeah, whoever's the best should get the job, long as it ain't one of them.
1: The ironic part is, you know, the jobs, as far as immigration goes and all that, they're taking the jobs that nobody want, nobody else wants. The last so what time, are you mad about?
3: <laughs> you know? The last time in the South, they really had a Roundup and threw the immigrants out. It was a fish gutting and cleaning factory. So they round up the immigrants, they throw them out. The factory closed.
1: Because they didn't have <laughs> none of the nobody young,
3: wanted to do the jobs. None of those young white guys in that area were willing to do anything remotely close to that hard work and damn sure not at that pay. So I had again studying all that. Having no all of that knowledge. And people always want to have a tough conversation until it's time to have a tough conversation, right? Then they get mad about it. Um, Noam hates debating with me. Sometimes he gets so mad his head almost explodes. But he always does say, well, John does come with facts. He's not just making shit up. All of it is historically correct, right? So having all that in my head studying, the difference between us and those other groups is you didn't have the Tulsa bombings. you didn't have a Ku Klux Klan for Mexicans, you didn't have a Ku Klux Klan that just went out. They were specifically there to terrorize um, Black people getting their stuff together financially. There was redlining. We had a president of the United States who would not rent to Black people. Don't take my word for it. The Justice Department of the United States said him and his father were putting colored on applications so that they would not rent to those, would not sell to those people. So there's always been a headwind for Black Americans. This time with Black, you can't bomb Black.
0: It's an app. Right.
3: So I was trying to find a way. How can we find ways to circulate this dollar? Finally, and I made a phone call to Silicon Valley and said, you know, I'm just going to dig in. I didn't, by the grace of God, let's be fair, wasn't working. (laughs) Pandemic. Yep. (laughs) Wasn't like I had to turn down a bunch of shows to get this thing done. (laughs) (laughs) I was actually sitting around uh, watching uh, fucking Tiger King um so <laughs> you're like looking at up like like even was, this dude's was, got was, a movie <laughs> around watching Tiger King and i said hey man let me see if i can pull this off i text my homegirl who used to work for facebook out in silicon valley her husband's a little bubbly and says you're not gonna believe what my wife is working on and they had dinner guests and one of the dinner guests said um tell them i'll do it i'll do it for free
2: no shit
3: google engineer
2: how about wow. that? Wow. Yeah. Fantastic. Put that it was, out
3: there in the universe, right? Married to a black woman's got two black kids Said he was looking for hair care for one of his daughters. One time a therapist for another one of his daughters and said, I know this guy, this will be my contribution to the movement. I can help this guy get to a proof of concept. He did warn me in the first meeting <laughs> that we had. he said, listen, man, I'm going to try to go in a different direction from what you've ever seen before. I don't know if this is going to work. But I said, how much would it cost me if I paid someone for a prototype? He said, $40,000. I said, let's see if your way works. (laughs) 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 Let's see
5: if if this free thing works out first.
3: (laughs) Um, Step
2: one, free
3: one. Yeah, yeah. and then he comes back, he sends me a prototype. I called, uh, I remember sending it to a, a guy who's, who I consider an advisor. He's been so helpful. My buddy, Sean, down at New Labs. And Sean was one of the guys who was in early on Airbnb. I sent it to another buddy of mine, Ikram, who uh, created Venmo. And those guys got it. And both of them hit me back within minutes and was like, wow. this is, this is going to be way bigger than you thought." Well, whoever your guy is that, that tried this other approach, it worked.
2: Cool. Fantastic. Yeah,
3: it's and, amazing. And that's kind of when the room got quiet and they were like, yo man, you gotta hand this off now to a development firm. That's gonna cost you some money, but uh, but if, if, if they come up with something that's as simple as this, this is gonna, this is probably gonna change the way that people spend money at least in the short term, you know, because it was really simple, didn't require any thought. It, it's geolocated. And, um, and to be honest, I can comfortably say this now, and I've, I've asked other people, historians and whatever, whatever, and all of them had said that Black is the easiest way to support Black-owned businesses in the 400-year history of America.
0: Hey there, Osiris listeners. I wanted to tell you about our friends over at SmartWolf. For more than 25 years, Smartwool has been making merino wool socks and apparel designed to keep you comfortable. Because they want to help you play, laugh, and explore in the outdoors with every thread they knit and every step you take. Because they believe that comfort sharpens focus and lets you perform beyond your limits. They are here to help you feel good. Now, it's up to you how far you will go. Take 15% off of your first order at smartwool.com. Smartwool. Go far, feel good.
2: What's up, everyone? I'm Mike. And I'm Othiel. And these are our Sunset Lake CBD gummies that are almost gone. Sunset Lake CBD is a farmer-owned business that ships CBD products directly from their farm to your door. For years, Sunset Lake was a Vermont dairy farm producing milk
1: for Ben and Jerry's ice cream. In 2018, they diversified and started
2: growing hemp for CBD. And with a product for everyone, they offer pre-rolls, hemp cigars, and hemp flowers, as well as tinctures, gummies, and CBD-crafted coffee to help with stress, aches, and pains.
1: Sunset Lake CBD saves you money by shipping high-quality CBD
2: products directly from their farm to your door. Want to know what I've been using a lot of, O'Teal? this salve with the arnica uh, yeah. on my on my old bones you get back from a show and you got tor ankle rub a little bit of this on there you're ready to dance yeah. the next day and you know S- sunset lake uh comes a time listeners can visit sunsetlakecbd.com and use promo code time for 20% off of their purchase that's sunsetlakecbd.com promo code time and tell them we sent you it's hard because, you know, most Tulsa's
1: don't happen very often. And, you know, we're always like, it's, it's not odd for Chinatown or Little Italy or whatever, for whatever the town is named after for those people to own the businesses there. Mm-hmm. But if you go to the black part of town, like in D.C. where I grew up, the pizza shop, which is Italian food, was owned by the Koreans <laughs> it's still Right in Southeast Washington. It just was like, I don't remember seeing black people owning most of the businesses in our neighborhood. It yeah. was always other groups. So you, the dollar, even if it circulated the neighborhood, went out to the other communities that actually owned it. It didn't stay
3: there before it left. And a big. And what and is
1: it? It's supposed to stay. It's supposed to circulate six times or something before it leaves. Is that the rule? I forget. I mean, what it is. I,
3: I think that there's probably a healthy level of circulation. But in addition to the businesses not being set up, but we also saw that during this this COVID um, situation, mm. a lot of people don't know that nearly half of black owned businesses went under permanently yeah. during, during this time. And a big piece of that was the same as it's been since the beginning of time we don't have the same access to capital. So when things start getting rocky, we don't have a banker on a first name basis that we can call, do you know what I mean? Or let's say right after World War II, when the middle class of America was built up with those GI loans that were coming from the bank, we didn't have access to those, Mm. you know what I mean? We weren't able to come back from the war and then walk into the bank, hey, Jimmy's home. And here, take this money for this cheap house, which is how Donald Trump's father made his money in Queen. Those small, whatever houses, the G.I. people were coming back that they were selling. That's where the, the Trump business came from. Wow. So we didn't have access to that. And then when we tried to move into Trump Tower, they put C's on the application. The, those of us who had money. In Chicago, they redlined districts where they wouldn't give us loans if they want a movie here. don't give them a loan. You know? Wow. And over... Decades and centuries—that that that adds up to a uh, to a to a uh, to a hell of a headwind and a unique problem that requires a unique solution.
1: (laughs) That's right. You know, over the pandemic, I joined, uh, opened an account at a black-owned bank, and I was like, because that's another crucial part. You know, the banking part. Like you say, you can't go into a bank and them give you the time of day where'd you the open the real it? one it was uh i think it's all online right now one united bank i think it's called
3: Oh, okay I, you uh, know flat banks uh uh i'm at carver carver federal savings black Owned bank yeah
1: yeah nice. is that in new york
3: yeah it's in new york yep yeah yeah
1: it's a crucial component you know you got to You gotta vote with your dollars,
3: yo. Let me tell you something. You gotta be patient with Black-owned banks too, because there's (laughs) something you niggas. (laughs) You niggas need to get it together. (laughs) You gotta be patient with these niggas. Oh my! (laughs) But got to do what we got to (laughs) do.
1: Well, learning about money is something that's you know. My parents never had a lot of money, so you know, like. If you if you don't know, if you don't come from having a lot of money, you don't know what to do with money when you get it. Like it's but a financial it's a,
3: financial literacy it's, is critical. My my uh brother right now trades every morning. Owns, I think, three properties. But yeah, we didn't learn that from, from my parents. My like, now his kids obviously will be financially literate. They'll understand the stock market. He's in yeah. he's in this goddamn blockchain stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. Owns yeah. three houses. So he can pass that down. But yeah, our um th- there were no earlier generations of ours that would be able to pass down any financial literacy because um they were just trying to keep their heads above water. Well
1: that's, that's such a, very... a big thing when you're trying to like change these big tides because you know financial literacy is a big you know, it's like, wow, I, do I want this pair of sneakers? It's like, wow, sneakers are $300? Really? A $300 sneaker? Let me see. No. <laughs> you know? <laughs> now, maybe if you have one pair, if that's your birthday present or whatever. But you know what I mean? Like, what is what matters to you? What? How do you delegate uh,
2: what's more important, the hierarchies of all that? You know, and it's... Well, Talk. Yeah. And, and and even like looking back at like, I think I think we've talked about this in the past where it's like you're presented this reality and then that just becomes your truth. You know what I mean? And it's like when I was in high school, we would have assemblies where student loan companies would come to the schools and say, here are the charts. If you don't go to college, this is where you're going to end up. This is the income that you're going to be like. Capped at, here's that. Like, and if you can't afford it, don't worry, we're here. We've got you. And then you signed away the next 30 years of income (laughs) for your student loans. And now you're like, they look at the percentages of people that even use their college degree. Yeah. And you're stuck with these payments that, like, when you go back and look at it, you're like, you fucking lied to me from the start. Like, I didn't want to go to college, I wanted to own a landscaping company, but you scared the shit out of me. And I had to go to school. And then when you go to school, the minute you get on campus in the quads or whatever, it's like, sign up for this MasterCard and you get three free Bob Marley posters Mm -hmm. or a Blacklight Cypress Hill poster or whatever the fuck. And you're like, whatever. And you sign up for a credit card and now you're 19, 20 years old and you've got debt waiting for you when you get out and you've got new debt for, yeah, I'll buy kegs. I'll buy pizza. Fuck it. I got this credit card that came with the t-shirt, you know? And it's, you're screwed. You're literally no. like, you're, mm-hmm. you're 19, 20 years old and you're five figures in debt already.
3: Yo, at this, yo, in the law, it should say at every one of those credit card tables. They should have to put somebody who's 32 sitting there telling you what it looks like.
1: <laughs> yeah, yo, man. Yo.
3: <laughs> that's hilarious,
5: and that's, dude. That's also after
1: <laughs> after they changed the laws and your college
2: costs like 10 times more than it used
5: yeah, to. Dude. Uh, yeah, dude. <laughs> you know, put your head
2: you put your head into it. There you go. Before you sign, you need <laughs> yeah. to spend 30 seconds looking into wait, this. Wait, box. Wait,
3: yeah. wait, wait. They call it, it they call it the fine print. Okay. <laughs> Just before you sign.
5: Go talk to the fine print. <laughs> go talk to Mister Mister F Fi- Mr. Print, hey, and he's sitting name there going, name? My name "Run!" Was, uh, he goes, Run. go. Uh,
2: Run uh, now!" Don't even go, go to college. college. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I swear, I think that like the whole education system is such like. I mean, you were you were almost shamed if you didn't go to school right out of high school. When in high school, uh, most people, man, I thought I talked about like I talked to a friend about this where. You know I worked full time to pay for rent and tuition and stuff and took classes at night. And when you'd go to the bars and you'd see people getting way hammered and getting kicked out and grab grabbing people and acting fucked up, it was the kids who had it just handed to them. Absolutely throughout college and it, but like the folks that like I had to get up in the morning and cut lawns and then go do Granted I did dumb shit. But i was hung over do you know doing <laughs> you look at it and you're like this, some people a, a large percentage of this country just isn't ready to grow up yet like go work a couple years figure out financial literacy is a thing that i mean that's god that term is like that's the most underachieved and overlooked how come it's not
1: a chorus in high school? Oh like my at god! At least dude. by
5: twelfth grade, because you're Little about school. to go out yeah, into the world. Yeah, man,
2: totally.
5: We well, never me, learned anything well, me, like that. Well, let me.
3: Well, let me tell you, it was decided upon amongst industrial barons back in the day right. when they had say in the curriculum of public schools. Yeah.
1: You're headed for the factory. Yes.
3: (laughs) Yes. Yeah, you took that test. They back in the day said, in the event that we give them this financial literacy, they won't work in the factory. Exactly. (laughs) So that's actually, no, that's actually a factor. Back in the day, (laughs) yeah, yeah, the Rockefellers and them had a say in what was to be in public education, and they opted, let's not put that in there because we'll have more and more upheaval. Mm, yeah. Which I, and, I, and I'm going to be to, to be fair to those guys. I don't think that it was I don't think that it was a because um, people are always like rich people, are evil, this, that, the other. When I the history, when I read it, I honestly didn't think it had intent. I thought that from from the way that they were arguing it, when you read some of it and kind of study it, it was almost like they were like. Because you got to keep it contextualized. They were like, "If this country is going to rise up to what it needs, we need to get ahead of those guys overseas. Otherwise, they're going to come and stomp us." Mm. So I didn't, when I read it and study the history. Now, of course, people are so rich in the United States that's what it was. But that's not what these guys were dealing with. Yeah, they were trying yeah. to say, "Hey, man, if we're gonna if we're gonna get out in front of England." We're going to get out in front of those European countries. We need everybody on the same page right now. Let's not get fancy with it with all of this. You know I mean, financial. You know, yeah. let's just do the. Everybody keep their head down for now, so we can become a superpower. I don't think that those guys were saying. You know, I know there's some people who always argue. You know, fuck you, John. You're stupid. They were greedy. I think, that, of course, there's some greed mixed in there, but I don't think that that was what was what they were thinking. I think that they were thinking if, if, if we don't get to where we need to get, we're just going to be a, a, a massive colony of, of Europe.
0: They'll well, come over all- and take
3: this from us if we don't fucking get these bullets made in this factory this afternoon. We don't have time to be argued about financial fucking literacy right now.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah,
1: totally. but part of it is like the age old question of, you know, the at what point do you sell your soul? Because you know, it's like, well, it's just business. All right, we gotta beat England and the foreign powers. So we just we have to get ahead of them. So sorry, we need slavery right now. You know what I mean? It's like it's just business. Yeah. I think there's a lot of it that this is the way it is. Well, like and I it's said, it's just I, business, and we got to do this to get ahead. And it's, uh, there's always that, you know,
3: that no, I, I, biblical I'm, I'm bargain you. <laughs> you make with the devil, you know. <laughs> I'm, I'm with you on you can justify the unjustifiable yeah. if you want to over and over and over again. Mm. I just, when I read that history about whether to put education, it's almost like going back. Yeah. There, there were arguments in the black community back then between Booker T and W.E.P. Du Bois. Mm-hmm. You know, du Bois, do we, do we have a talented 10? Take ten percent of black people, get them to the finish line, and let them come back and yeah. re-educate and say how it was done. Or do we try to educate the masses? So there's always been those type of arguments. But when I read the argument about whether to be focused on financial literacy or do we leave that out so that we can get this this um, this society working in what was an industrial society back then? Do we want to yeah. have? Do we want to have strikes every week because of these? super educated, some, some genius at the end of the line decides he doesn't want to work today and says, we need to focus on financial literacy. Do you want a Bernie in the factory every week, shutting down the factory? And I mm. think if I was those guys, I would say that's going to kill us.
1: Yeah, but yeah. what do you do now uh, when there is no industrial we have no industrial anything more and so your only hope of survival is literacy it is education now it's
3: screwed let me ask you this with (laughs) that financial literacy that is now accessible at our fingertips how many of us have taken advantage of it
1: but you need education to even think that way like i am so glad for And you know, this is, I guess, kind of a confession, because school is so insanely expensive now. I'm like, I am thinking about sending <laughs> Nigel to college if he already knows what he wants to do before then. But I've been educated, even though I didn't go to college, but I went to a really, really great high school. So I have enough to pass to him. Well, actually, he's already ahead of me online. He learns so much so fast. Like he's just showing me stuff. He's seven, right? So I know that he's gonna be okay and he will avail himself of that because he does know from four years old that it's at his fingertips. But for some people like caught in this between era where I literally think, like the Yeah, right? Me too. I'm still like trying to constantly educate myself. Like I got into nursing.
3: (laughs) You know, where you always are in school. Well, dude, imagine trying to start a tech company. (laughs) Imagine, Imagine my dumb ass trying to start a tech company so I
5: know what you mean. You're drawing it in your notebook. You're like, here's the computer. Here's the phone. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. A lot of YouTube
3: went into this company. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) that's what we all, that's
2: what we're all like. And that's where, and that's the thing that like you look at it now and I'm watching videos of I have no financial literacy and, I, and I'm watching 19-year-old kids on YouTube teach me how to make $100,000 in a year by putting away 5% of this and this and then diversifying. And I'm like, son of a bitch. I mean, I know in high school, all I was worried about was doing nitrous and bong hits and drinking beer and shit. And it, it fucked me. But you want to know what's funny is when they came into school- like, early, we were talking about, like, that, like, I think there's also that kind of, like, trajectory of, like, if you look at the generation before me or two generations before me, the amount of people that went to college significantly lower because they weren't coming in with that fear-based. Like, I think – I've heard my uncles and parents and shit talk about, like, when I was in school, the kids who went to school were the ones who knew they wanted to be a doctor, knew they wanted to be a nurse, knew they wanted to be – a lawyer or whatever, like no one went to school for liberal arts, kind of, unless your uh-huh. parents were loaded and shit. You went out and you started, you, you got a job and you learned yep. a trait, whatever. And, and, and I, I think about some of the, like the, 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 guy, the folks that I went to school with where we were all looking at them going like, how are you not falling? How are you not going to school? You're just going to go mm-hmm. be a sheet metal worker or an HVAC work. And they were like, I know I'm not, cut out for this bullshit i hate school now yeah, and then yeah. i get out five years later with a fucking english degree what the hell's that shit yeah. and then they're like i'm buying a house um i've got x amount saved up <sighs> they they had to they they learned what literacy financial literacy was and i'm like Teach me, dude. Like, you're the smartest one out of all of us and you didn't take a fucking class. Yeah. You're learning life. You yeah, have it, a couple it,
1: kids it will teach yeah, you financial. Yeah, man. And it's just, I mean,
2: <laughs> Hopefully I'm looking for at your like, kid's what like, I'm like, do I move back home? And they're like, you know, like, I'm like, can I rent the basement of the house you just bought? And I thought <laughs> you were the idiot, you know? But it's that whole perception operating from fear. And that's tons of that. That's the whole throughput of this whole fucking thing. It's just like it's all fear based. If you don't do X, then Y. If you don't go to college, if you don't go to grad school. When I got when I graduated from undergrad, they were already with the rhetoric that undergrad was basically equivalent to a high school diploma. (laughs) So you might as well just go right to grad school. And I'm like, they were making so
1: much money off it at that point.
2: Like I remember someone
1: responding to one of these boomers that was talking about how lazy kids were. And they were like, go F yourself. What did college cost when you went? What's your debt? You know what mine is, dude? Kiss my ass, you know? And there's nothing here for me. You got a job with your degree and bought your house and had your 2.3 kids and your whatever, like, what did I have? You know, I can't do nothing with this.
2: And I have like an insane amount of debt. So you know. I've had conversations with my student loan company where they're like, if you lower your payments, you won't even be paying the interest. <laughs> so I'm just like, fuck. That's cold, and they're like, man. What? Wow. They're like, what year, are you, uh, what, what year does it seem like I'll be paying this off till, and they tell me the year, and I'm going to be like, I'm probably going to be dead by then. Yeah. I just want to let you know. But it was literally like, it was a smoke and mirrors trick that they pulled on us when I was in high school. And it was well, just like, you got to go to school. You know what, in college. your
1: defense, Mike, when you write your best-selling book after <laughs> it's on the New York Times, I'll be like, okay, your English degree did <laughs> student <laughs> help a little bit, up. right?
3: Yeah. <laughs> you know, I sure it's, hope so. It's, it's, a, um, it's just a game of finance. I was, I'm, I was really fortunate to dodge that bullet because of basketball. So, you know, Man, I had a full scholarship. Enough. Um I
2: don't know if you've seen how tall I am, John, but
3: no basketball teams were knocking down my door. Yo, and, yo in all fairness, I hated basketball.
5: I wanted to play. I did. If Bud Light was giving out scholarships, I would have went to fucking Yale for free. if <laughs> they if they had, had keg scholarship,
2: <laughs> I could I could do a twenty foot bong hit in two pulls.
5: Does uh, that pay for oh anything? <laughs> oh my God! No. How
1: many no. of the guys uh, on your team, though, were majoring in economics?
3: You know what? I, the, the truth of the matter is, the spectrum of athletes was very wide. Good. So there was a guy named Ernest and that I played with. He was a, I want to say, a physicist. His major was um. Oh, damn. Was I mean? This guy was brilliant. So I had guys like that. My buddy Bob Martin, really, really smart. These guys were on their way to law school and med school, and and they were ball players. Mm. So it, it 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 very it, it very much varied. I so remember. they were
1: kind of like you. Like I'm gonna let this basketball take care of this med school degree. Or this it's
3: fantastic. Well, we like, all that's a lot we, of money. <laughs> we all thought we were going to the NBA. Uh, you know yeah. I mean, we all thought we were going to the nba but um yeah man so it was um i don't know about the the spectrum of, of what what uh what we were there studying as ball players but fortunately it was going to be paid for so we weren't going to be we weren't going to be stuck with any student debt and like i said basketball man my mom forced me to play ball i um i was not interested in playing basketball like i said i wanted to play football we didn't have enough money for the pads and then i wanted to skate we didn't have a car so escape uh, lessons were too far so my mom was like hey i went to woolworths i got you this basketball you can play basketball and then she said sign up for a basketball team you know you'll get better whatever i sign up for this team right i hate basketball so practice is two days a week i would leave i would go hang out with my friends and then i would come back in with the basketball and make up these tall tales about how basketball practice was keep in mind my mom has three jobs at the time so my mom worked a a 40 hour week job, and then a part-time job after that job. So eight hours, she worked 12 hours a day, and then she had a third job she would work on the weekends.
2: And a full-time mother.
3: And a full-time mother. So she could never come to these Saturday games. So one Saturday, probably like five months, four months into the season, my mom says, hey, I don't have to work on Saturday. I can come to your game. Keep in mind, I've never been to practice. Right. <laughs> Never. I have been going to hang with my friends. Right? So imagine the look on my face. I was like, oh, uh, "Great, right? you sure you don't have to work?
5: Right? So,
3: <laughs> don't so you want to fill go, me up? So I go to the gym, keep in mind, people don't think of the hood, but I'm from the part of Denver that's not on the brochure. Mike, you live there. I'm from the five points when the five points was the five. the, the, the Yeah, and, yeah. And now, like, when I grew up there, it was far, far worse. Where I grew up, as a matter of fact, they they bulldozed Cabrini Green. They bulldozed the uh, projects in The Wire. So America was doing that with their worst areas at one point in time. So the neighborhood I grew up in, they bulldozed it.
0: Hmm. Denver
3: was like, we're going to pretend that didn't happen. All those <laughs> drive-bys, those killings, those shootings, right? So, So it's a hood basketball situation in the hood anyway our coach was an alcoholic so he didn't really know who was on the team he used to be drunk (laughs) (laughs) yo yo he used to be drunk as shit at the games so i go to the game right my friends some of my friends are on the team and i was like yo i'm in a bind you guys y'all gotta help me out they was like john don't worry about it he just calls out the numbers in the locker room. As long as there's not 15 people at the game, because every week there was like somebody, one player couldn't make it for whatever reasons. It was like, as long as all 15 guys don't show up, when he gets to the end, just raise your hand. So, so we get in the locker room, 12. That's mine. 13. That's mine. I'm like, oh, shit, I'm in trouble. 14. That's mine. 15. That's mine. And I take, I take the basketball jersey. I put it on as fast as hell. I it <laughs> put it on so goddamn fast it was on backwards.
5: <laughs> put it on for the first time.
3: <laughs> Pulling the tags off it. Yeah. You know, yeah. So, I'm, so now I'm on the bench. I'm like, woo. and my mom's sitting across the gym. I think I got in at the end of the game and kicked the ball out of bounds two or three times. <laughs> but, but the crazy thing was I was so terrified that I didn't know when she could come back to a game I was like, fuck it. I got to start going to practice. Yeah. Mm. And then eventually, you know, I, yeah, uh, yeah. I, I became, uh, I, I got pretty good at it because I'm competitive.
1: Dude, what a classic uh, American, Afro-American story <laughs> for uh, Black History Month. No, seriously, no. <laughs> like from hood basketball to full scholarship to majoring in economics to making comedy, it, to making, making it in the app. city.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah like, it's just, How many it's people like, don't make it in the city doing comedy? How many people great, don't man. make it? How many people don't make it in app development? That's the shit that's like every now and then when you're like beating your head against the wall, you go, how many people aren't doing what I'm doing, you know? And that's yeah. fantastic. John, through your app, I learned that some of my favorite places are, are, have black ownership and I didn't even know it bookstore bookstore in new haven where i grew up that's atticus black owned i had no idea and i'd maybe it was just me not paying attention but i'm like shit wow it's unbelievable i love the app's fantastic and it's and it's intuitive and it's easy and it like couldn't be a more like at your fingertips like experience
3: you know i told my guys i told my guys when we first started if it wasn't going to be simple let's not do it because people are willing to help you know, people are like, hey, man, I get it, man. I know that black people have had a little rougher go. I'm willing to help. You. But you got to help me help you. Don't make it <laughs> difficult right. for me to help your ass.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And we're I mean, we're, we're just a, we're, we're a, a, a generation of infants where if it's not this easy. Yes. If it's not that fucking easy. Yes. I don't want any part of it.
3: And that's what even I, if it makes my life better. And that's what I require, though, of my developers. I was like, it needs to be one touch because if we make it any more difficult or someone's got to try to figure something out, they're going to be like, yeah, I get it. But I just couldn't figure it out. Uh -uh. It's got to be one touch. We have to make this thing as easy as possible. Now I'm asking everybody, man, because no one gives a fuck where they buy their shit. I'm asking everybody, man, during Black History Month, do me a favor and just get your you know, you're going to buy flowers for Valentine's Day right? And we never know where we get this shit from. Use Blap to buy your flowers. For value. There's florists on there. So just get your flowers. You <laughs> yeah. know what I mean? That's an easy fucking ass for the month of February. Yeah. You yeah. don't got to do anything. Right. Buy flowers for Valentine's Day through Blap. Um, that's it. That's an easy one touch florist. Bam, bam, order them. Keep it moving.
2: So the app is Blap. It's on all like it's on iOS and Android and, yes. uh, Everything, every you can find it and on any costs device. Me a lot of
3: money to get it up on Android at the same time. <laughs> Let's hope it pays back. Can, we, can <laughs> I get those uh sweatshirts? Oh, yeah, you know what? Yeah, no, know. Um, um, in the merch store. I'm actually marking the merch down for Black History Month, too. Yeah, That's I'm marking awesome. the merch down. So just going to the merch store, yeah, you can get uh lap sweatshirts, cups, you know what I mean? You can get a goddamn uh phone, uh, saber. Ace. You get a phone case, yeah. There's, there's all type, there's hats, there's all types of goofy shit on nice. there. But, uh, we'll put I all mean, that
2: stuff in the show notes.
3: Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely,
2: dude. Thank you so much for hanging out and congratulations. Um, and it's just, yeah. this is fantastic, dude. I'm, I'm. Okay, thanks for having. I'm thrilled me, to have this, you on. This was kill great. it tonight. Yeah, I'm excited. You gotta get that set ready. Uh, O'Teal came to see me do a show there, and these two girls were talking in the front and you'll love this i go i go ladies cuz you learn after a while right john you don't go shut the fuck up uh, oh. you know you don't yell you go you kill him with kindness and you go yeah. ladies i'm sorry but i i can hear you talking and it's kind of throwing me off a little bit so if you'd wouldn't mind you know and the rest of the crowd was like okay you know and they go oh no we're not talking and then they go right back to talking and i'm like no you're totally talking and a girl from the other side of the room goes no, you're talking and, and we all hear you and you're ruining it. And they go, you mean we can't talk to each other? And, and I'm like, no, that's talking. And they go, forget it. We're leaving. And they walk up on the stage and they try to walk out of the showroom. And one of them had heels, like, remember O'Teal? Like this big. And she stepped off the stage and her ankle was like, yoink, like this. And I was like, uh-oh. And when they, everybody was like, goodbye, see you later. And they just <laughs> left. And And then we got on with the show, but it was just another <laughs> – just Classic. another night of comedy. Just living corporate. your dream is a nightmare. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yes. yes. Well, like you said, there's some people, that's probably their first comedy show. It's their first comedy yeah. show.
2: Now they, go, now they go, we hate comedy. We can't yes. talk during it. So. That's
1: when you wish you were Patrice O'Neal.
2: <laughs>
5: <laughs> right. right. Oh, police would have let him have
2: it. <laughs> yeah, lock the doors, he would have said. You're not going anywhere. I'm oh. like, get him out of here as fast as I can. <laughs>
3: yeah, he would have yeah, uh, unloaded all of them
2: yeah yeah well johnny i love you bud and i love uh, you mike thank you man of course of course and uh, everybody download blap and uh check out everything uh john lasser tell everybody where they can find you on social media
3: At he was funny yes i am at he was funny that's easiest place to find me man uh, the app has got some dope things coming up, man. So I hope people jump on there. We're gonna have workouts, yoga. Should be comedy shows on there pretty soon. There'll be Sunday church service, man. It's uh, it's coming together. Wow,
2: nice. That's awesome.
5: Yeah, dude. we're
3: gonna have Black, <laughs> we're gonna have Blap Live premiering in the next couple of days. So it's heat, it's about to heat up.
2: Right wow, on, dude. awesome. Well, thank thank you, man. you, John. Thanks everyone for listening. See you next time.